Patrick Stewart, Irene are in the house. Thank you. I love words like longevity. It means I'm getting old. It's a real honour uh, to be here. I don't take it for granted that you should come out on a nice, warm, sticky evening to come and listen to me. But I'm very grateful, and I'm, I'm very grateful for what God is doing uh, in and through a life. And indeed, in many churches in our nation, things are shifting, things are changing. We are living, aren't we, in unpredictable days. And uh, if we're looking for solutions from the political arena... I guess we might get some solutions tomorrow as the American president walks in. But uh, uh, it seems to me as though there are all kinds of pressures politically uh, in our world and people are really looking for leadership, looking for answers, looking for people with a sense of identity. It's great to have reports back from Cherish, isn't it? And it's important that we understand who we are in Christ that we've been changed, that our old identity has been replaced. We've been taken out of darkness and placed into light. We've got our feet on solid rock. Uh, We used to be in shifting sand, but now our feet are on a rock, and his name is Jesus. And thank God we're not overly religious. Uh, We're not called to religion, we're called to relationship. We're called to know Jesus, and... Knowing Jesus is the most incredible thing, isn't it? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to me, uh, come to the Father, but through me. We believe that Jesus is truth today. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that I believe God is calling us, and particularly this location, to be a prophetic people. Not a pathetic people, a prophetic people. And prophetic people find themselves going against the tide sometimes. It's a costly thing to be prophetic. A lot of people, when they become Christians, they say, you know, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to be weird. I've said that a number of times. I've got to tell you that we will be perceived slightly as weird sometimes because we go against the flow of ordinary thinking. God has not called us to mediocrity. He's called us to action. He's called us to be different. And I believe that as the world is looking for leadership today, I believe the church of Jesus can really take a lead. Fantastic, isn't it? 7,000 women together for purpose uh, in Leeds. Let's make sure that in Lincoln and surrounding areas, we play our part so that people don't always have to travel miles, but they can just travel up the road And the same power and the same anointing, because there's only one church ultimately. I'm not into branded stuff. We're uh, into the church of Jesus Christ. It comes in various forms, different flavors, and we want to be ahead of the game. Uh, We want to be ahead of the curve. Now, I'm going to speak tonight uh, on possibly one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I've not spoken on this for a long time. But this particular passage was something that motivated me years ago, um, put longevity into me, I believe, as you'll see when we get round to this. But it's about a prophet. His name is Elijah. And uh, this prophet has a call 
uh, from God to make a major difference in his nation. And he lives at a particularly awkward time politically. He lives perhaps in one of the worst days that the children of God have ever known because the king and the queen of the day were as bad as you could get. Uh, King Ahab was one of the worst kings that has ever taken charge of the people of God. And he was married. It was a great combination. Ahab and Jezebel were people that you didn't want to work for and you certainly didn't want to oppose. But uh, Ahab and Jezebel, possibly the worst season in the history of God's people, God raises up an Elijah to combat that spirit that's dominating the nation. And we'll see that Elijah's uh, life is rather like our lives. Sometimes he wakes up in the morning, bangs a tambourine and says, Israel shall be saved. On other occasions, you'll find him running from Jezebel, going a day's journey, the Bible says, into the wilderness, sits under a broom tree, whatever one of those is, and as he sits under it, depression descends upon him, and he says to God, and I guess some of us have said this on occasions, I only am left a prophet of the Lord. Felt lonely, felt intimidated, fearful for his life. And sometimes you find Elijah on the top of the world battling the prophets of Baal. And sometimes you see him sat in depression. Does this remind you a bit of your life? It certainly reminds me of mine on occasions. I am wired strangely with a big strand of melancholic which means on a Sunday night I can really preach to you about faith and the power of God. But if it doesn't go too well tonight, tomorrow morning I'll be sat under my tree or I'll be ringing up Mr. Positive here <laughs> and uh, saying it's either the Samaritans I talk to or you, so get me out of this mess. Some of us sometimes feel we're empowered by God with faith that moves mountains. And other days we sat under our tree thinking we're the only one that's following the Lord. I'm here to encourage us all tonight. I believe that we are a prophetic people. And because we're a prophetic people, we'll be going against the grain. Sometimes we'll be going against the crowd. There is a cost to what I'm going to say tonight. On some occasions we feel we're really going to make it. Lincoln's going to be saved. And on other occasions as we look at the world in which we live and we put the news on, there are occasions we wonder, are we ever going to make a difference? Is anything ever going to really happen? And sometimes, you know, people like us, we don't help ourselves sometimes because we have a, what I would call a revival rhetoric all the time. You know, it's just round the corner. Pray a little harder. God's going to do great and amazing things. And uh, I believe that it's right that we declare great things. But we do also live in a real world, and sometimes the breakthrough that you long for doesn't seem to come. Usually, I find God is a God of delays. Have you noticed that? We pray a prayer expecting the breakthrough is going to come within 24 hours, but a couple of years later, we're still waiting. We do need to remind ourselves God's time scales are very different from ours. 
you know our time scale, his particularly, is we want it now. Time scale. The Bible declares humans' time scales are like a mist. Here one minute, gone the next. That's the time scale we're on, ladies and gentlemen. It's exciting, isn't it? We're all on our way to heaven quicker than you realize. But God's time scale is very different to ours. The Bible says that, you know, a thousand years are just like a day to God. So buildings come into this, guys. God's promised it will happen. But there are God-given delays so that he is working in us stuff that really needs working. One thing that he works in us on a regular basis is patience. Where you feel as you're praying, God's saying, wait a little longer. Just a little longer. Just a little longer. And sometimes we don't help ourselves because we declare things and we assume it's going to happen, you know, right now. But actually, we've just got to be at peace. We've got to also recognize that when you're a prophetic people, sometimes God doesn't speak in the storm or the loud thing. Sometimes he doesn't speak in the whirlwind or in the earthquake. Sometimes it's the quiet voice that speaks. You could miss it if you weren't listening. Where God is able just to speak into the stillness of your heart. And it's interesting, isn't it, with Elijah? Uh, God visited him, but God was not in the earthquake. God was not in... That's an interesting thing, isn't it? God isn't in all the stuff that comes against us all the time. He wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the strong wind, but he was in the still small voice. So I'm going to be talking about, better get on with it or, or we'll be here for a while. But this is to do with an Elijah people, this is to do with a prophetic people and I hope we're up for it. Because I genuinely believe that this stuff on revival isn't just rhetoric, it is reality. I believe in the word of God there is a promised outpouring of the Spirit, which is beyond anything we've ever seen before, before Jesus Christ returns to planet Earth. I believe I could show you that from the Word of God. But you do need to know His ways are not our ways. His time scales are not our time scales. And sometimes you just got to hang on to Jesus. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, faith. And I, I want to talk to you about the cloud the size of a man's hand. It's a great story. And I'm going to read it to you, but I want to remind you before I read this, very often when we think of great prophets, we say, well, that's him then, this is us now. But James in the New Testament, who was a great pillar of the church, he actually puts the, the, the perspective on uh, that comment, uh, because in James chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I just want to confess that we've had events on the Lincolnshire showground for 40 years, and I've never mastered the weather thing. We pray for it, no rain, it pours. We've had all kinds of weather systems come through, but I still believe God is God, and we've got to get better at this. <laughs> but the Bible may, very, really makes it clear that 
Elijah was a person just like us. He had all the feelings we have. He had all the disappointments that we have. And it is true that these two things that James mentioned, where he declares no rain. Wouldn't it be great to get up one day, say to the government, we're against the Lord. Um, God wants to show us a new way of living. I declare it's not going to rain in the UK for at least three and a half years. Wouldn't it be great to do that? It'd be quite kind of exciting. And uh, that would need a miracle, especially if you live in Manchester. Wouldn't it be also great in time of famine or need for a drought to end, to get up before the government and declare, as I declare this, in, when I declare this, the rains are going to come. So these were the two big things that Elijah did. He did lots of things. He actually resurrected a person. He was used powerfully by God. But these two things... He, if you like, declares a judgment on the land, no rain. The moment he declared that, no rain. Three and a half years later, God says to him, it's now time for rain. He goes to Ahab, looks Ahab in the face. It's interesting, check this story out. Ahab, when Elijah comes to him, he, says, he calls Elijah, troubler of Israel. Why have you come? You troubler of Israel. You do need to know that the church will often be pointed at as the troubler of Israel. And you and I need to actually say it is not us that's the troubler of Israel. We need to boldly sometimes declare to the Ahabs of this world, you're the problem, not the church. And sometimes we've got to stand out. So Elijah was one who declared no rain. Three and a half years later, rain. And this is the story of that time of faith. And I want us to learn some faith lessons. And the first lesson is this. Elijah was a person just like us. So don't count yourself out of being a prophetic voice into your household, into our city, into your place of work. We can be a prophetic voice and we can live prophetically in an age where, in a sense, it's difficult to be Christians. And though we don't, uh, in this country, think of um, you know, those in authority as Ahab and Jezebel, how many of you know it's getting more tough to be a Christian in today's climate than perhaps for many years? And the church needs to wise up a bit and to be uh, strong in the courage that God uh, brings to us. So here's the few verses that I want to read uh, for us. It says here in verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 18, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, 
and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. If you check it out geographically, that's a long run. It's a pretty, pretty big marathon. So what I want to do from these simple verses is look at this issue of faith. Sometimes it feels we've got it. Sometimes it's like the elusive butterfly. Where is it? How, how do you get it? Do you get it by being more prayerful? Do you get it by attending church more? How do you get it? What is this thing called faith? Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we definitely need it. It's a God-given thing. We need to move in faith. And if there is a time for the church to move in faith, it certainly is now. But I want you to notice from this story that faith doesn't come easily. Or as determining when faith is activated, it's not always as simple as we think. It's not always click your fingers and it happens. It's not always pronounce no rain. It's not always pronounce the rain is coming. But actually we'll see from this particular story... There's a kind of an interesting uh, nuance as you go through here that faith doesn't always come easy. You've got to press in for faith to operate. You've got to keep on going. You've got to be in for the long haul. This isn't simple stuff. This isn't name it, claim it. This isn't I need a Mercedes tomorrow in Jesus' name. This is to do with maturity in the Christian walk uh, with God. And I hope that together we can walk into that maturity together. So I've got a number of points, as you would imagine. And the first thing is this. I want you to notice here the challenge of faith, the challenge of faith. The challenge is a big challenge because you've got Ahab and Jezebel. They are strong and they're anti the work of God. You've also got a lot of idolatry in the land and you've got the the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal was a baddie. All kinds of stuff would happen uh, when the prophets of Baal were active. Even things like sacrifice of children. It was bad, bad, bad. It was dark. And Mount Carmel was a place where it was a kind of a mixture. And often, often there, the prophets of Baal, they would do their stuff. It was evil. And if you combine the prophets of Baal with authority structures of, the, of the Israel, you'll find that you've got major problems. You've got stronghold issues. And so Elijah recognizes that something has to give here. We've talked about battling. Sometimes we sing about it, but we don't always understand how big this stuff is. So there is an incredible challenge. The prophets of Baal are getting strong. The prophets of God, some of them are on the run. Often Elijah is on the run. And there are times and seasons when it looks as though the people of God are in decline. We're in one of those challenging seasons now. And if you combine idolatry with authority that's godless, you've got a mixture that is not good for a nation. That's why the church has to be a prophetic people to speak into the fabric of decisions that are being made. Because decisions that are being made in high places are not always the God-given solutions to issues. And we're living in days of political correctness and you've got to get it right and say it right and do it right. And the church has to rise up and say, no, there is a God in heaven and we stand for truth and we stand for righteousness. And you know, it's ever so difficult, isn't it, to have a strong opinion on anything these days because you're viewed as a bigot and you're viewed as anti this and anti that. 
We don't want to be viewed anti-anything. We want to be pro-God and his will. We want his will to be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Elijah faces this challenge. Stage one of that challenge, he does pretty well. In the verses before the ones that I read, there was this contest, you may remember the story, between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. Elijah's just prophet on his own, hears God speak, he's strong about this, he wants to defy all that's happening in the nation, and the prophets of Baal are doing all kinds of wicked things, and so Elijah comes and he says, let's prove before the people who's God. And so he challenges the prophets of Baal, and he says, you build an altar, put a bull on the altar, I'll put a bull on my altar. In those days, you know, it wouldn't rush from one thing to another. This would take quite a while to prepare. They prepare their altar. Uh, Elijah prepares his altar. And this is the challenge. Let the God who answers by fire be proclaimed as God. In other words... When fire touches the sacrifice, we will declare that the God who brings the fire to the sacrifice, let him be God. And so the prophets of Baal, they put their altar together, they cut up the bull, they put it there. And the Bible says they rant on for hours and they are cutting themselves. They're having all kinds of incantations. All sorts of demonic things are happening. And they are believing, if you like, for fire to come in their sacrifice. But nothing happens. Elijah is in the sidelines. And it's one of his good days. He's feeling on top of the world. He's saying, you know, shout a little bit louder. Perhaps your God's asleep. And he's sort of mocking them from the edges. He's real Mr. Bold. Have you had Mr. Bold days where you're really ahead of the game? And so he says all this stuff to them. And then calmly he says, okay, let the God who answers by fire, he's God. But let's make it a little more difficult. Remember, it's not rained for a long period of time. So what does he do? He says, find as much water as you can possibly find. Get some big loads of water and drench this sacrifice. Let's see where power lies. So he drenches the sacrifice, then he calls on God. You know the story, fire fell and consumed the sacrifice. And he says to the people, how long do you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. Well, I'll tell you what, if you see fire come down from heaven, consume the sacrifice. I'm with Elijah, right? And that's exactly what happened. The challenge was very clear. Let the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then we find this next miracle on the back of success. How would you feel if you've just sort of wiped out the prophets of Baal? And God's answered by fire. You've literally seen fire come from heaven, consume the sacrifice, lick up the water all around the ditch. Wouldn't you believe God forever and ever? Amen. But you'll find very quickly, poor old Elijah is in depression because he, though it happened on that account, how many of us feel, you know, what if, what if God doesn't turn up next time? And Jezebel begin, begins to get very, very angry with Elijah. And she says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to take your life. And that's when Elijah, out of fear, runs from the situation and finds himself in a place of depression. And so here there's this incredible challenge. Uh, the, the whole nation is without water. 
uh, there's famine. Usually in the Old Testament, the picture of famine is a judgment of God and the nation has turned away from God and there is a challenge of faith. So my first thing is this, are we up for the challenge? If we want an easy life, this is not for you. If you want just a life of mediocrity with lots of Christian meetings, where you lock yourself away in meeting after meeting, uh, this is not what this is about. This is about living the life on a daily basis. This is about living the life when no one's watching. This is about daring to be who we are called to be when all hell is against us or where people think we're weird and strange. And sometimes it's not easy, is it? And so there was the challenge of faith. But I want you to notice when after this um, prophets of Baal thing, we move very quickly onto a very interesting verse. The very next verse says this. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. I believe here we have the ear of faith. Firstly, the challenge of faith. Secondly, the ear of faith. Interesting that the world, you'd better go eat and drink. You'll not get this. We've got to be strong on this. You see, Ahab heard nothing. But in the spirit of Elijah, he heard there was a sound. It says here, there was a sound of rain. There's a sound of a heavy rain. What does a sound of heavy rain sound like when it's not raining? What's the sound of a heavy rain sound like when you're looking out at the Mediterranean and it's totally blue sky? Some of us have got to be able to hear the prophetic before anything happens. We've got to be able to hear what God is saying before there's any inclination that anything at all is going to happen. That's why you've got to get buildings in your heart before you actually literally see it. You've got to hear a sound. Now, I believe that if you're really in tune with creation, there are sounds before storms. And if you've ever been um, around just before a storm, often there's a stillness, isn't there? But then you'll find after the stillness, there's a, a rustling in the trees. This is a wonderful picture of revival. There's a, a rustling in the trees. In fact, in 2 Samuel 5 and verse 24, David's in a battle. And it says, as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the top of the balsam trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. We've got to hear what's happening. The sound of rustling in the leaves of the trees, the Spirit of God is on the move. I have to say there's a sound of faith if you listen. There's a world where even in the Christian church, they're just out eating and drinking. But if we tune our ears by faith to what the Spirit is saying, you'll begin to detect a rustling in the leaves of the trees. It's the Spirit of God. It's the work of the Spirit. You can see it in communities. You can see it in conferences. You can see it in your family. Seeds of hope, seeds of faith, a rustling in the leaves of the trees that tells us that actually something is on the way. Rain is always a picture of revival in the outpouring of God's goodness in the Scriptures. And Elijah hears a sound, and it's the sound of a heavy rain. Now, this can get a little bit inward-looking and inward-focused. If I were to say, can anybody hear anything? You know, if you're like me and you're in prophetic meetings and somebody says, can you see something? I usually see a blank. And, I, and, and then they say, can you see anything? Well, I see a little bit, you know. 
And sometimes we do that. And I'm saying today, can we hear the sound? And some say, well, I'm listening, but I'm not sure I can hear anything. I believe that faith has a sound. And that we can attune ourselves to God. So we're in prayer and we begin to hear some rustling. We see some change in the atmosphere. We see our culture shift in church life. We see kindness and goodness begin to be a part. And we start to recognize perhaps rain really is on the way. You know, the early Pentecostals got hold of that little phrase, the sound of a going. In the authorized version, this is talked of, you know, that this sound of wind in the trees was, was known as the sound of a going. I've got a, an old book of the early Pentecostals. Interestingly, John Phillips' picture is in the group of these old people. And there's Smith Wigglesworth there and some of the old Pentecostals. And that book was called The Sound of a Going. I wonder if at the beginning of the century, those guys that were there in that little picture, and they all looked very quaint in their suits and ties, I wonder if they had ever realized that within the century, the Pentecostal movement would be the third largest thing in the church of Jesus Christ with millions of people claiming to be Pentecostal or charismatic believers. A whole sweep of the move of the Spirit in Pentecostalism has happened uh, within our lifetime, particularly. Do you know at the beginning of the century, there were a handful of people that were followers of Jesus in South Korea. Now, some of the largest churches are in South Korea. The whole tide has shifted. Millions of believers in China, where we expected, you know, because of the oppression of authorities, the Jezebels and Ahabs, had pushed the church down. But today, one of the largest churches in our world is the church in China. The ear of faith. This stuff we need to listen to. I better move on. The next thing we find is the position of faith. Verse 42 says this. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Now here's an interesting one. God said it's going to rain at your word, but he still had to pray about it. This was a position... If you like, here's Elijah in a position of birthing. If you, if you look at that, something, you know, last week, if you did the, the studies that we assigned, and I'm sure you did, we were talking about the groan of hope. You know, the church needs to move from the moan, which is to do with circumstances, to the groan, which is to do with our future. The groan is to do with, we can see that the future hope is before us. There's a groan in us. There's actually a groan in creation. The Bible says that creation is actually waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So one day, creation, and this is a political issue today, isn't it? We know that one day, creation will come to order under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and there'll be new heavens and new earth filled with his glory. That's what the scriptures say. We need to be filled with that hope. So here, 
Elijah knows it's going to happen. The breakthrough is going to happen. The rain's going to come. But he positions himself in humility before God. He gets down on his knees and he prays. I think sometimes we're a bit glib about this stuff. We say, well, if God wants it, it'll happen. We have a kind of a que sera, sera theology. Whatever will be, will be. When actually we, we know the promises of God, but you've got to pray in the promises. You've got to pray in the future. You've got to believe it. I know that a building is promised, but you still need to pray. You need to be on your knees praying and interceding. I don't know what forces on a daily basis are leveled against churches like ours. I know there are forces leveled against us. We don't know what's holding back the promises and blessings of God. So Elijah and a prophetic people know what you do with that. It's going to rain, but we're going to pray for it. I believe that we need to up the levels of prayer in our church big time. In, unless we do, we're a little remnant that prays and then the bigger church just comes in, you know, when all the excitement's there. No, the battles need to be... I like to think that on our Thursday gatherings, they are the most populated meetings we have. In Lincoln, it's pretty pathetic, if I'm honest. Don't tell them, but it's pretty pathetic. Amen. That lady's a good lady. So we need to be praying and we need to be interceding and we need to be calling for the rain to come. We need to be calling down heaven. You know, Jesus says, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Doesn't just drop without us declaring it, asking it, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to speak it. We need to be a loud voiced church, not a loud mouth church. But a loud voice church, speaking the promises of God, declaring where we're going. I declared something over this man. I want to do it publicly here. I believe that he's going to speak before 30,000 people in his lifetime on one occasion. I'm out there saying it. I believe it. 30,000 people are going to listen to him. And when it happens, he'll, he'll think, oh, well, that's interesting. Because often when you move into amazing promises, it doesn't seem as magnificent as you first thought. It almost seems as though, oh well, God said it, it'll happen. I remember when I was just leading a handful of people in our home. A lady came and prophesied over my life. There were about 20 of us in our front room. And uh, Jean Donnell, you've, you've heard that name before. She came into our house, had tea with us. And then she said, I've got a word from God for you. And she prophesied, she said, you're going to lead a large strategic church in the city. You're going to oversee a network of churches. You're going to travel the world. I thought she got the wrong person. But when you actually, years later, we're in it now. We're in it. We've walked in it. We've walked in it. It's not long since that was prophesied. In, terms of, in God's terms, it's like that. And I want to encourage you, whatever God has spoken over your life, don't get mardy, folks. Don't say God said it and it's not happening. Don't say, you know, God's let me down. Don't say any of that stuff. Declare the promises of God. You've got to hold on to this stuff. And I believe here that we have the position of faith. Pray it, pray it, pray it, declare it, speak it, and it will be yours. Declare it. Some of you already are wondering how many points I've got, and I'm not going to tell you because I want to keep you into hope. But the next one is this, the persistence of faith. Now, this is where it gets fun. 
Verse 43 says, Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Have you ever had moments like that? God said it's going to rain. The clouds are going to be gathering. You get your servant friend. Nice to have a servant friend that looked after you, wouldn't it? The prophets had little servants, just a little thing there, Dan. You know, carry me case and all that. But um, uh, there was this word, wasn't this, this this go and, and see. And I can imagine Elijah's thinking, he'll see it straight away. But the truth is, the servant went out. Isn't it great when people... Uh, can't, can't say anything positive. Now, he couldn't make it up, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have liked to have been Elijah's servant who says it's going to rain. And he says, go and look over the sea, and you come back to the great Elijah and say, nothing there. There's nothing there. How many of us have heard through our small history of church life, when things are declared about changed nation, things happening, wonderful things, miracles, healings, the power and presence of God, and then a friend pops out, looks over the church and says, nothing there. There's nothing there. It's just words. There's nothing there. Now, uh, last year, Irene and I had the privilege of being on Mount Carmel in the very spot where this took place. It's one of the best moments of my life. We stood there, had the customary photograph with a few friends. But I was thinking, there as we looked over the Mediterranean, on Mount Carmel, blue sky everywhere, and this came, came really strong to me. You can imagine that servant, hear your bosses saying, you know, the rain's on the way, go and check it, go and check it. He goes out, looks over the sky, it's as blue as you can possibly see. There's no sense of rain at all. There's nothing there, he said. Now, this is where prophetic people need to recognize that you don't give up on the first look. This is more important than we realize. I have friends who have given up the faith on the first look. People that were sharp on the edge of ministry, who don't even go to church today because they got disappointed because on their first look they said there's nothing there. People that are talking this kind of revival stuff, they're just, it's just hot air. I've no time for it. I have friends today that don't even go to church because they got disappointed. And I've got an answer for them. You've looked once, you've got to go a second time. And if you don't see it the second time, you've got to go a third time. And if you don't see it the third time, and even if a couple of years have passed, you've got a fourth time and a fifth time, because if God said it, it's going to happen. I believe we need to get these. It's right the way through Scripture. Seven, the number of God, and they had to go. If, you, if you're going to pull some walls down in spiritual warfare, Jericho, right? God's going to bring the victory. Walk round once, nothing happens. Walk round twice, still nothing happens, not even a shaking. Go round three times, nothing happens. Four times, five times, six times. And then... God says, right, now take them round on the seventh day seven times. If you've been walking round Jolly Jericho for seven days and the, the, the leader says, do it again, and this time seven times round, what was happening? Faith levels were growing. The more you go out, the more you begin to determine it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This is what the Bible says. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And when he looked... There is nothing there, he said. Listen, seven times, Elijah said, go back. 
I'm here to say, if you're not seeing it yet, stick around. Go back. Look again. Don't get disheartened. Don't give up. What would have happened if, you know, Jericho, uh, they'd been going round and some bright spark says, look, uh, we're not going to go another time. Six times, the number of men, interesting enough, if they'd just gone six, they wouldn't have got their miracle. And I'll tell you what, if you're Naaman and you've got leprosy and you're dipping in the muddy waters of, uh, thank you, Jordan, and you dip once and you dip twice and you've still got leprosy and the prophet said, when you dip in the Jordan, you will be healed, would you have said, I'll give this up for a, you know, whatever, and, and then you dip a third time, still leprosy. You dip a fourth time, still leprosy. But the Bible says on the seventh dip, he, his skin came like that of a, of a baby. He was totally healed. Folks, my message is a simple one. Stick in there. Keep on looking. Keep on looking. Keep on believing. Because the greatest miracles are those that uh, are seen by people that stick in there and continue. So the persistence of faith. Now I've seen a number of moves of the Spirit, some very wonderful things. I've literally with my eyes seen some incredible, incredible miracles. But you know, I've been declaring in, in the early days, some of you won't know what I'm talking about here, the charismatic movement was when the Holy Spirit began to move outside of Pentecostal circles into denominations and Methodists and Anglicans. I was a Methodist at the time. The Holy Spirit started to move and we're declaring the nation's going to be changed. The nation's going to be changed. Then there was the days of Toronto. Some of you, again, won't know these things, but in the move of Toronto, and I spoke in Toronto four times in wonderful revival atmospheres, and the prophets were saying, you know, this is the, the great push before Jesus returns. And then you look and you say, is it, is it there? Is it there? It isn't, it isn't. Is it there? Is it there? And I believe that, you know, uh, Smith Wigglesworth also said that there will be a day when word and spirit come together in such a way that there will be a great move of God that will eclipse even the days of the Wesleys. And I believe that stuff. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. And I believe that on the seventh look, then there's the breakthrough. I'm praying I see it in my lifetime, but... But, you know, God's timing means that if I don't see it, my kids will. Or if my kids don't, my grandkids do. Because God, when he promises things, it will come to pass. Now, I'm going on a bit longer than I normally do, but that's the persistence of faith. Nearly there. The next thing is the eye of faith. And I'll do this nice and quickly. The eye of faith. Because verse 44 says, The seventh time the servant reported... A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, that's actually very funny if you think about it. He's looking at the vast horizon of the Mediterranean. He's on his seventh look, and he's saying, I think I, think I can just spot something in the distance. It's, the, it's a cloud. I, I want to describe it as the size of a man's hand. You would hardly perceive a cloud the size of a man's hand, would you? 
when you're looking out over the Mediterranean. And I think that's funny because God's hand is slightly bigger, right? Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? You see, the Mediterranean was in God's hands. But as Elijah's servant looked out, he said, I think I can see something very small. It's in the distance. And I, I think it's like a cloud the size of a man's hand. That's the eye of faith. When you see something and you know the rain's on the way, you've just seen a small thing. I believe I see that cloud. It's small, but it says the rain's on the way. I think there's evidence all over our nation that there's a cloud rising and that rain is on the way. I genuinely believe that. I never believed in my lifetime that we'd have two archbishops, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Archbishop of York, both speaking in tongues, filled with the Spirit, men of the Spirit and men of the Word. I would never have imagined that, you know, Irene and I find ourselves in this little group, there's about 50 of us that go annually to pray for the Archbishop. Where did that come from? Has to be the Lord. I'm just amazed at what God's doing at the moment. Irene and I, what, I don't know if you know this, perhaps you don't unless the rumor's out, but Irene and I are going to the Israeli embassy next month, invited with six other national leaders to meet with six rabbis to talk about the faith. And the chief rabbi for the UK is going to be present there. Don't you think that's incredible? So when you get prophecies that you're going to speak to people, you're going to speak to royalty, you're going to speak to important situations, take hold of it. Don't say that can't be true. Don't say that can't be true. We had prophecies over us that you'll find yourself before royalty. And, and we've, we've found ourselves before royalty. It's just an amazing thing. And uh, we big up God in that because we know it can't have come any other way. So this was the eye of faith. But then as we conclude, you find the action of faith. As soon as that cloud so small is seen, that's enough for Elijah. It says here, so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. That's real action of faith. Just saw a little sign, right Ahab, Ahab, rain's on the way, you'd better get on your journey quick. Because this rain's going to be so big, it'll clog up your chariot, mate. You'd better be on the run. Action of faith. Go down, he says, get involved. I believe this is our time to go down. This is our time to put into action, believing that God is with us, God's promises are over us, and it's now time for action. The church should be acting. This is the time when you need to be acting as God blesses you. God's put on the inside of you compassion, deep compassion. You've not gone looking for it, it's gone looking for you. Compassion. You find yourself welling up and you're thinking this isn't a manly thing to do, but you well up on a number of occasions. I just want to say over you're going to cry a lot and you're going to cry before friends and you're going to cry, cry before the congregation because there's a compassion in your life that's based not in your ability, but in God's call on your life. His hand is on you. This is a time for action. This is a time for action. My final point is this, the impossibilities of faith. Verse 46 says this. 
Um, verse 45, firstly. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavenly, heavy rain came on. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. But wait for this. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is action man Elijah. Tucks his garments in his belt, the belt of truth. He's off. This is a supernatural superman image. This is him doing what he could never in the natural do. I believe God's calling the church to be an Elijah people where we're going to do stuff we've never done before. We're going to see the sick heal. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see things that we've dreamt of because God is with us. There is the sound of a heavy rain and we need to be seeing the impossibilities of faith. We're going to pray together. But my belief is tonight that God wants to raise our faith levels and put some determination and perseverance in us to push through on the promises of God. You know, because God said it, you can't just sit back and say, well, if he said it, it'll happen. You've got to pray it. You've got to speak it. You've got to declare it. And as you do so, you will, I believe, get the breakthrough. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this uh, location. Thank you for the faith you've deposited here. Thank you for Dan and Joe and for their leadership and others in the location forum that hold things together. Lord, I pray that the, the days ahead are going to be filled with excitement and joy. Lord, we again just pray about this building, that which you've promised. We pray that you will provide for every need. And we pray that as we walk into that place and take ownership of it, we'll give you all the glory because you've spoken it. And I pray, Lord, that we will not be held back or hampered, but I pray that we will be the supernatural people of God that are going to turn things in this city. I pray that you would cause your church to be people that are able to speak to the Ahabs of this world and to the Jezebel and to bring the life and light of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that the best years for the church are ahead. I pray you'll keep us from moaning and groaning. Well, keep us from moaning so that the groaning is something of bearing fruit for the future. May we be pregnant with the good things that you want for us and we'll give you all the glory. Can I just have 10 more minutes to speak one or two things? Uh, Alec. I believe this is a season that's very important for you. I think you feel on the inside that, that things have culminated to bring you to this place. It's like circumstances, situations, relationships have brought you to this place. just want to endorse that, that God's hand is on you. And, um, and it's, it's on you, yeah, into, into the police and all the rest. You're going to be highly influential. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll add to you all those other things. You're going to find yourself um, under the favor of God. Be embarrassing at times. Authority figures are going to look you out and you're going to find that favor is deposited on you. You'll not go trying for it, pushing for it, but favor of God will be over your life and great success is ahead. Um, Hugh and Barbara, I had a, 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 a thought here which was this is a new season of energizing. It's a time not of, um, you know, uh, slowing down. I'm, I'm not saying do more in a sense, but 
this is not a period where you're thinking we, we've got to slow down. This is a time when new energy, the impossibilities of God are going to be on you. This is a great season where you're going to delight in what God has done through your life and through your legacy. Through those, through your children, there's going to be great delight in your life. And I just want to say, I don't know how you think about retirement and all those kind of things, but I just believe that some of the most fruitful days are ahead for you. And I want to say over you, Barbara, that new energy physically is going to be over your life, that you're going to have a new strength. I, I believe in your blood system. God's putting a new energy of circulatory blood that's vibrant with life, that you will know the life of God physically and you'll be strong and you will know that it's a God thing and I believe that for both of you you're going to have that blend of experience and and past things but you're not wanting to shape people to do it the way that you did you are people that want to just release and the word over you is to release some people and let it go release some people and let it go start a thing then release it and let it go and have great joy in seeing young men and women uh, come through into places of leadership where you know that it's the Lord that's done it just one final one um, Anne and Martin I, I believe that the word pioneer is over you as a couple. That, that you are pioneers at heart. You know, sometimes there are people that, that go into the promised land and they come back with bad reports. You've never been like that. You've often seen the problems and the, the, the pressures and the difficulties, but actually you've maintained a good spirit through those things. But I believe that some of the frustration that you felt because frustration and vision are in the same camp. Some of the frustration that you've felt is because there's a pioneering spirit on the inside of you. You're not people that want to sort of settle down or just, you may, you may have said this to one another, let's just settle down. You may have said that, but actually in your hearts, you're not settlers, you're pioneers. And I believe you've pioneered in many ways in other places. And today God's calling you not to settle, but to pioneer. That doesn't mean in the process you give up serving and doing the things that you're doing. I'm not saying that. But watch carefully for that pioneering seed that will rise up within you where new initiatives are birthed, new things, new paths, new, uh, new ministry that, that God gives you. And you, you'll, you'll know it's the Lord. It's, it's kind of the Caleb Joshua feel. You know, where your friends have kind of been the settlers and some of them have backed off. You've got close friends that gave up the race. But actually, you're the Caleb and Joshua people uh, where you were saying, no, the promised land is a good land and it's the land where we should be. We're not going back into Egypt. We're not going back into the, the, the past. We're not going to align ourselves with the, the ones that uh, were negative. We're not going to align ourselves there. We're going to align ourselves with God's purposes for the future. The future is bright for you, and it's bright for your family. God's smile is over you. The favor of God is upon your life. And if you will pursue Him with everything you've got, you will be amazed at the doors that we will open. You won't even have to put your shoulder on it. You will find that doors will just open and you'll walk through and you'll say, the Lord has done this thing. God bless you all. Thanks for the opportunity of sharing. Wow. That was like a seven-course meal. 
I hope you're taking notes. Thank you so much, Stuart. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Stuart and I, can you come and join us? We'd love to pray for you as you lead us. Let's all stand together. Can we all engage with this? Let's stretch out our hands. Come and join us on the stage here. Come on, Location Forum. Sue, James, Matt, come round. Let's, Angela, pray. Let's pray for these guys as they lead us. Oh, that was a feast. Them points, seven points. I love them. Come on, let's raise our voices together. We want to pray as you and I are in leaders. Thank you for this amazing anointed couple. In the name of Jesus, we pray blessings on them as they've given out time after time, year after year. We pray that you will refresh them as they've refreshed others, you will refresh them. We pray they will step into their finest season. We pray the best over them. We pray a time of fun and enjoyment and blessing and a time that you walk into a land flowing with milk and honey. We pray for Stu and Irene's heart of seeing this church of 5,000. We pray that they will see it with their own eyes. In the name of Jesus, protect them. Thank you for doors that are opening up nationally for them. Thank you for this opportunity for the rabbis and uh, standing with people in government, in royalty. We pray that you will bless them and anoint them in this season. We thank you that their voice is getting heard. And we pray as a location, we thank you for their leadership, for their wisdom, for their fun, for their adventure. Thank you that they lead us courageously. And we pray the anointing and blessing of God that they will step into everything that you've promised for them. And all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. Bless them. Come and encourage you and Irene as you leave tonight. It's been a great night, hasn't it? Please don't rush off. We got teas, coffees around. I reckon the band would play us out as we go out tonight. But thank you. God bless you for being with us. Check out the shed. Come and uh, have a chat with John. Connect groups are happening all over the place this week. And God bless you as you go out tonight. Check out the Connect area for more information. Amen.